Welcome to the QEH podcast, the place to find out more about the school and to connect with staff, pupils and parents at a deeper level. Each week we'll be interviewing people within the QEH community, asking them questions and spending time understanding them and more about the school. So let's get into this episode of the QEH podcast. In this episode, we're talking to the Deputy Head Academic, Joe Martin. Joe is going to share more about his role and what a typical day for him looks like. And we also delve deeper into his time at QEH, as well as some of the differences between state and independent education. So let's get into this episode right now with Joe Martin. Joe, welcome to this episode of the podcast and thank you for being here. How are you today? I'm very well indeed. Thank you, Simon. Thank you very much indeed for having me. So we're recording this during a lunchtime Tell us a little bit about how the day looks for you on, on a typical sort of day. So there's quite a lot going on in school today, actually. We've got a group in school called Bold Voices, who are an interesting, relatively new organisation whose whole mission is to raise awareness of gender equality in step with the whole equality, diversity, inclusion agenda, which is a very important one here at school and which has had a great deal of national, even international profile, really following the whole everyone's invited movement and we're very aware that as, as a school that you know it, it is a boys school from year seven to year 11 that, that we need to begin the whole process of education on that very important area right from the word go so they've been in talking to year 11 today and to year 12 and 13 so they've been off timetable and they talked to year nine yesterday otherwise it's a it's a pretty regular day in school we've got groups off up to Feyland to games this afternoon which will be windy and wet but we're a couple of days out from half term so there is also a certain lightness in everyone's step (laughs) shall I say. Awesome now you mentioned about gender equality tell me why gender equality is so particularly important at QEH right now. Well I don't think it's just a QEH I think it's a societal issue isn't it and I think we've all been educated a great deal over the last couple of years about how much further there is to go in terms of achieving greater equality and greater levels of inclusion and not simply to pay lip service to these issues but to make sure that we're you know that we're really covering them in as in as thorough and as as deep way as possible and obviously you know QEH in the relatively recent past has admitted girls to the sixth form but it's important that we that we start educating the boys about these issues long before they get to the sixth form. So this is something that, that we've placed a great deal of importance on. We've just appointed a, an assistant head who will have particular oversight. She will have particular oversight of that of that issue. Mm. Yeah, I see. Now, I wonder, Joe, let's just go back a little bit. I'd love to know a little bit about your own education. So what part of the world you grew up in and what your own experience of school life was like when you were younger? Yeah, so I had a fairly diverse, I think it's fair to say, fairly diverse education. So I was born in Sevenoaks, down in Kent. Obviously, Sevenoaks is a very eminent school now, and my father was head of English there. And then we moved up north to Yorkshire because my dad became deputy head at Pocklington School, which is also a big sort of independent boarding school up there. And I went to Pocklington School Prep School, and then from there, we moved to Birmingham, where my dad became head of King Edward's Camp Hill. And I went to King Edward's School in Birmingham, which interestingly is where Rupert Heathcote, the new head of QEH, was deputy before he came here. So we have a, 
certain shared bond on that front, I think it's fair to say. So I did my secondary schooling in Birmingham, and, and, and that was, you know, did my A-levels there, and then I went to Oxford University from there. Did my teacher training in London, taught down in Cornwall for a time, down at Helston School on the Lizard, so sort of far-flung Wild West. And that was the early 1990s, so 1992 to 96. I was down in Cornwall where I was head of history. And from Cornwall, I went to Tower Hamlets, a very different part of the woods, really. And I was head of humanities in a big comprehensive school in the east end of London, Bethnal Green, you know, just off Bethnal Green Road. And I was there until the early 2000s. And from there, we moved to Bristol, and I was assistant head at a big school up in Dursley, Rednock School. And then from there, I moved to QEH in 2006, where I became head of history and politics, and I became deputy head here in 2015. So that's a kind of whistle-stop tour of my educational trajectory from day one to year 53. That really does feel like a whistle-stop tour because, I mean, essentially there we've bounced all around the country. I think you said Seven Oaks to Yorkshire, to Birmingham, to London, to Cornwall, back to London again, to Bristol area. Don't think I missed any out. So so that's, that, that's an impressive bouncing around, but also uh, a varied background in terms of the kinds of schools that you've been at, mm-hmm. having, having been educated in the independent sector and then worked in... I mean, Bethnal Green state sector, I mean, that's clearly very different to the likes of Seven Oaks, Pocklington and King Edwards and, of course, QEH. Tell us about some of the differences that you've experienced and some of the similarities between state education and independent. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's tempting, isn't it, always to, to sort of see this great dichotomy between the independent sector and the state sector, and that's for obvious reasons. And, mm. of course, that's you know, understandable. And there are massive differences. They are completely different parts of the solar system, really, in, in so many ways. But there are also, I think, much bigger similarities than we often take account of. I think, you know, young people are very similar, regardless of where they're from and how they're living. And in terms of education and in terms of teaching, you know, what is a good lesson in Bethnal Green is a good lesson at QEH. It's exactly the same ingredients that, that mean that you know, a student enjoys a lesson or a student has a fruitful relationship with a teacher in terms of what they're learning. You know, the things that make a student achieve in Bethnal Green are the same things that will make a student achieve in Clifton. You know, there's no doubt about that. Mm. And I think that's a really important thing that I've learned, actually, in the course of teaching in very different sorts of schools in very, in very different environments. And, you know, all of those schools have had massive positive aspects as well. I think, again, it's, you know, in the same way that you know, young people often get a bad press, to use an old-fashioned phrase. I think often, you know, education generally, you know, we, we, we have a feeling that, you know, a lot of schools just aren't doing what they should be doing, and it's simply not true. I mean, there's a lot of fantastic schools and fantastic teachers in all parts of the country. No, interesting to hear your take on that. It really is. And you mentioned that you joined QEH, I think you said in 2006, if I get that right. Exactly, 2006, yeah. So how have you seen the school change in the last, I was about to say 15 years, 16 years, isn't it? Yeah, tragically, it's 16 years, Simon. It's changed a huge amount in that time. I think on the surface, things look very, very similar, and there are certain crucial rhythms about QEH in 2022 that have not changed at all since 2006, or possibly even since 1590. But big things have changed. I mean, when I first arrived here, there were still borders here. It was a small and dwindling troop of borders by that point. But there was no junior school. So we've seen the 
ending of boarding at QEH and the establishment of the junior school in what was the boarding area. The school itself has got bigger over that period of time. It's it's one of those kind of how long is a piece of string? You know, when is QEH actually full? And ever since I've been here, people are saying, well, look, QEH, we can't possibly cram any more in. And when I first started here, there were, you know, 500-odd students, and now there's 600-odd students. And, you know, <laughs> the same question is being asked. Are we actually full? Can we actually accommodate any more people? Because there is huge demand for the school. I mean, that is something that hasn't changed either over the last 16 years. Um, but there have been some other very big strategic moves, one which we've already talked about, not least the uh, expansion of the sixth form and the admission of girls was a, was a big step that, that you know, took a great deal of preparation for, but has turned out to be a, a roaring success. And, you know, we are now heavily oversubscribed in the sixth form by girls applying to come here. And, you know, we, we can't take all of our, all the applicants. So... That, that's been a very big change as well. And, and that has, has hugely changed the ethos and the atmosphere of the school and, you know, has, has in, in a very positive way. And I think that's not just the sixth form. I think having girls in the sixth form has had a positive impact right across the piece, actually. And there's a few other more, you know, sort of cosmetic changes, would I say. But, I mean, the total revamp of all of our sporting facilities at Fayland has been a massive change as well. And they've gone from being, you know, fair, very traditional sort of muddy games pitches to being absolutely sort of state-of-the-art sport facilities. So no, I'm sure there's been a number of cosmetic changes and, and I also imagine that going from 500 to 600 probably also means that there's been more provision for the 20% increase in, in students as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's, you know, that's very much part of the, you know, part of the, the landscape really is you've got to keep your, you know, you've got to keep your facilities and your resources up to speed if you're going to attract you know, students, and if you're going to convince their parents that it's the right place for them to send their children, you know, Bristol is a very, very competitive marketplace. I'm sure, as you know, very well stocked with all sorts of different schools. The state schools in Bristol have completely transformed, really, in the last 20 years, which is a great thing. And you know, all schools have got to be right on their game to to get people through the door now. Tell me about your role as deputy head academic for anyone who's listening to this and might not know what deputy head academic means. At times I wonder myself. So in some ways it's, you know, it, it is exactly as as you would expect in that I am responsible for all academic aspects of school life. So how the curriculum is structured in, in different year groups, how we arrange the whole option system so how we how we manage that process of students making choices in year eight the subjects they're going to do in year nine their GCSE choices their A-level choices that whole process I oversee along with not just what we teach but how we teach it and in the end what the outputs of that whole process are in terms of results and it's a cliche almost isn't it to say that you know, we are not just about results. QH isn't just about results, but they're a very, very important part of it. And our students rightly expect to get very good ac academic results and their parents also expect that. So I, in the end, am responsible for, for, for that side of things. You know, how well students are doing, are they doing as well as they should be? Are they getting into the universities ultimately that they've dreamt of getting into when they joined the school back in, you know, in, in year seven or, or even back in the junior school because we've also it's also really important to remember that that we have students who have been here literally for their entire educational career so 
I suppose if you were to stop the average person on the street and say, what is a school about? They would say it is about getting good exam results. You know, I think that's the sort of top of the list, is it not? So, yeah, that that's very much the area that I oversee. But it's really not just me by any means. I mean, I line manage all the heads of department who are a fantastic team and do an amazing job of managing their own staff and getting, you know, great results out of all of their students. And I also have a team who I work very closely with on the academic side of things in terms of timetabling. So we have a a head of timetabling. We have an assistant timetabler who also manages all of our data, which is a huge job now in terms of monitoring our performance and exams officers and internal exams officers and, you know, organising parents' evenings. So there's there's a tight-knit sort of academic team also within that broader structure of, of heads of department and so on. Now that sounds like a very busy work schedule that you've got there. Do you have time to teach as well or is your all of your time consumed by running all, all of those things you've just been talking about? There is a sort of pattern to the year and we're, we're coming into options season now so obviously we need to know which subjects students are choosing in order to make decisions about how many teaching groups we're going to have which in turn knocks on into how many staff we're going to need next year. So we're very much in that season of students making their subject choices, us deciding what our staffing needs are going to be, having to advertise for new members of staff in some cases. So we were interviewing for a biology teacher last week and our P teacher last week made some very good appointments there. So this is sort of peak season for all of that. But yes, I absolutely do still have time to teach and I still really enjoy teaching. And I think it's really important that you know the senior leadership team are also seen to be doing the things that they are asking other people to do and to to know and really have a feel for what is going on in the classroom and what QEH students are, you know, what the issues are that are motivating them and what the issues are that they're concerned about. So, you've, you know, fundamentally important for any any teacher, any school manager to, to know their know their students. And, and the only way you can do that is by teaching them. So, yeah, I teach some year 12 history. I teach, sorry, year 12 politics. I teach some year eight history. I teach in Richmond on a Thursday afternoon, which is a very broad ranging range of activities and topics. And I take a games afternoon also, although people will laugh to hear that because what that really means is I drive some climbers to a a climbing centre in town and sit in the cafe and drink tea, which is very nice. Very good. Sounds like an ideal way to spend that time. You mentioned about if somebody stopped you in the streets and you asked them about QEH, they'd, they'd mention about results. Does that mean that academic success is a given at QEH? I mean, if someone sends their child to QEH, is it a given that they're going to come out with amazing exam results? Yes. I mean, you would expect me to say that, I'm sure. I mean, I think that phrase academic success is a relative term. Um, I think that we are very good at getting the very best out of each of our students and that they actually achieve probably more highly than they would even be predicted to achieve based on their academic achievement when they join the school. So that phrase value added is, is in some ways the best measure of academic success. So, you know, is, is student X doing better than they would be predicted to do at GCSE and then at A-level? And the answer at QEH is that in the vast majority of cases they are. And we have very positive value added, which I think is a, is a, is a really important measure. But yes, we do get some really outstandingly good results from all sorts of different students and that's the case at GCSE and A-level and obviously in the end those exam results are the passport to further education and to you know careers that that those students are interested in and 
you know, just a brief look at where students are off to study and what they are going to study shows you shows you how well they've done. So academic success, if, if you define it as does a student do as well or better than they would expect to do, it is a given, I think. I like the way that you refer to academic success being a relative term because it is exactly that. And it sounds to me like what you're talking about is each child being able to realise their potential. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. I mean, that, that, that puts it in a nutshell. So if we were to redefine the question as people say that students at QEH reach their academic potential, then that is absolutely true. And do you have children yourself? And I believe that they came to QEH, is that right? Yeah, so my son was here from year seven through to year 13. And my daughter was here, obviously, just in the sixth form. And she joined in the second year of girls being admitted to the sixth form. So she was part of those sort of early pioneers, shall we say. And she joined from Redland Green, which is a big, big school up the road, mixed school. So it was very interesting to get her take on it, really. I mean, it's, it's a very privileged and interesting, if slightly fraught position at times, being a parent and a teacher in a school. And there are lots of teachers here who, who have their children in the school. We have lots of parent teachers. I mean, it's brilliant to be able to get a, an insight into how your kids are doing on a daily basis. But it's great when things are going well. Slightly more difficult when, you know, they're in detention or, you know, they've done yet another daft thing, which of course happens because that's what teenagers do. And you'd be very worried, in fact, if they didn't do that. So, yeah, they were both here and, and they both absolutely loved it in their own different ways. And uh, they got a huge amount out of it. And, you know, my son, you know, very keen on sport. He was captain of football and languages were his big thing. And I always say that that is really what should be the aim of any school is that they should be seeking to ignite at least one spark of passion in each student that passes through that school so that they then have something that is something that you know they that inspires them that they want to do later on in their lives and, and languages you know we've got a fantastic languages department here and he was totally inspired by that and did spanish and french at university and he as we speak is living in andalusia working as a language assistant in a school down there and sort of living that mediterranean dream so i'm very envious of that really and my daughter, yeah, she's at Edinburgh doing English and Italian off the back of, again, being totally inspired by the English department here. So, yeah, they, they, they did come here and it, it went reasonably smoothly or as smoothly as I could have hoped, I think. So one's gone south and one's gone north, kind of in some ways following in the footsteps, not literally, of their father. Yeah, no, indeed, yeah. And it's, these were their choices. I think that's also really important that students you know, are doing what they actually want to do and not doing things that their parents think they should be doing or that their parents think they would like to do. You know, I think it's got to come from, particularly when they reach adulthood, they've got to be doing, following their own passions, really. Absolutely, absolutely vital. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't see a huge amount of them when they were here. I mean, I was always very careful to avoid them at all costs. And I usually saw them when they, you know, when they needed money or a lift. So on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. Awesome. Now, Joe, we need to bring this episode to a close in a moment. But if anyone's heard anything and wants to find out more about the academic side of QEH, is there a way they can get in touch with you? They can just, you know, by all means, they can, you know, call the school and I'll call them back or they can just drop me an email. That would be absolutely fine and very welcome. Best email address for someone to use? jmartin at qehbristol.co.uk. Awesome. That's great. Well, look, Joe, thank you for your time. Thanks for opening up your world to us and sharing your insight in school life to us all today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Simon. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. That's it for this episode. To find out more, check out the school website, qehbristol.co.uk. 
Now, our next episode is coming out soon. So in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to next time. Bye for now.